This is SideQuest Completed, the Hobbyist Game Dead podcast with your hosts Calvin and JC, coming to you every Wednesday with encouragement and advice on making your game a reality. Alright, let's do this! SideQuest Completed. Alright, let pick up the this with maybe get a little electric guitar or something. No, this is okay. No, this is way better. But you could add beatboxing. I could also try turning off the AC. It'd be interesting to do a little before and after to see how that sounds. All right. You... Yeah, I actually can't hear it at all. Knows. All right. So welcome to SideQuest Completed. Uh, today, we're going to jump right into what we've been up to game development-wise. I guess I'll be going first, talking about Anthrotari, my queer furry visual novel set in the 90s. Right. So big update. I finished adding Misty Animation to Donnie. I'm very excited about that. It's been a while since I wrote an f- ending for him. And that route hasn't, that part, that path has not been animated since then. So that's all there. I did a good little pass on edits and the text and such as well. So that's feeling much stronger. And with that done, well, I think yesterday, in fact, um, it's on to working up Excel's route. There's still about 30, well, now 25% in need of some more attention, some little tender care, editing, animation polishes, whatnot. That's shaping up really nicely. And while doing that, it's been solid two Pomodoros every morning before work. Even every morning, uh, I mean morning, morning, not like first woke, woke up in the afternoon morning, but actual morning, Saturdays and Sundays, which has been a huge change for me. I, mean, I slept in until I think eight o'clock this morning, slept in until eight o'clock on a Sunday, which kind of blows my mind because I would often sleep in until one o'clock, maybe 11 to one o'clock. So that's a huge improvement. I was going to say, I've only been awake for a yeah. few hours. At this point, we're recording oh, yeah. this at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. We're so used, we've so normalized sleeping in on the weekends here in the U.S. It's easy to forget that's probably a sign of bad sleep health and not a good thing. There's nothing special, magical about Saturday and Sunday. Our bodies don't care if it's Saturday or Sunday. It just expects consistent sleep. But I digress. All right. Um, going forward, I already mentioned Pixel. I'll probably, after that, move on to Ciliera's or Robin's route because they both need attention. Because I just keep upping, leveling up my animation game as I go over these routes. So there's better routes for it. As I said, I will ex- not plan to make any more edits to these done routes until I've had feedback. Because otherwise, I'll just keep tweaking it forever. And on that same point, I expect to do more habituation of the game day process. Maybe start a feedback habit. I've already started doing daily devlogs for the game. The very next thing I do after finishing my second Pomodoro is to post about it on Mastodon. So that's anthrotari at vulpine.club and that little habit's been helpful because it means i have to yeah i get to explain what i'm doing i like that it's a little promotional thing shows that i'm working on it and it's just fun i get to get excited about it and share it and that's my that's my update for now it's calvin over to you sure so um I, I got some stuff done on the 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 current news i've been working on but i also took a bit of a tangent uh but i enjoyed both the things that I, I put some time into the, the tangent was that I um, dug into Godot engine a little bit. And this is a lot about like making sure that what we, me and my son start with for his, um, his game dev education that we're going to be doing for homeschool, that we have the right thing to start with. And it, it was really interesting to look into because the, even if I don't, I don't think we're really going to dig into it. He already pretty much is on unity, but I just kind of looking into it, got me interested and I wanted to learn more about it because I think that there's a good chance of looking at it more in the future, at least. Um, and so I looked at, they have demos for um, mm. different game projects. And in particular, I took, I, I grabbed a copy of the demos for uh, a Pong clone, 
written in their original Godot script and in C Sharp for the new uh, mono build they have and written in their nice. visual scripting tool so that I can compare the same game written in all three ways that you can approach building things. And you can even mix and match those in yeah. the same project. Um, and it's a really interesting tool. It's a lot more concise and integrated than Unity. It has a built-in code editor. Um, the 2D mode is like an actual 2D mode and not sprites all on the same Z-axis. Um, but you could still also do 2D sprites in a 3D space if you want to do that for games like a Doom style and stuff. And they even have demos for that. So there's a lot of interesting things that it does. Um, plus the benefits of it, of things like it being free and open source with tons of contributors. Very easy to extend the editor using its scripting language. Um, the editor itself is just a single binary so you can keep a hold of the exact version you built your project in and that makes it a lot easier to make sure that you can continue to support your project in the future um, and of course not worrying about whether or not you have access to it in the future because the, the company goes bankrupt or gets sold and unity has a lot of things they tie into their cloud services and if you depend on those you know maybe you can't build your game in five years uh, but I was just looking around to things with that, and I'm still going to be working with a lot of Unity stuff for the things I'm teaching my son. Uh, so to that end, I continued working on Ghost for Brambleton, but I was doing a lot of uh, planning and sketch work. So um, I had to map out the whole house that the um, that the game takes place in. Uh, and might move some things around, but I have a general idea of the some of the types of rooms in this manner that I want to exist. Pretty typical stuff. There's a, a tower with a like, a like a belfry that you can go up to. There's a can never remember the right name of it, but like the indoor the greenhouses that are attached to old manors. You know the, the cliche metal and glass kind of thing, um, and uh, many other rooms that are going to be involved where all the different ghost stories take place. Um, and I also did a lot of concept art um, of first of the whole family, just quick sketches. And now I'm working on fleshing those out individual characters. Um, I'm going to be doing concept art and character sheets for all of them. So I can get a good idea of, of, of who they are. I already have an outline of the main plot and the main story that's going on, but I need to flesh out the individual characters so that I can get the details of the story to match those characters. So I'm going to keep working on a lot of concept art this week and, and those character uh, sheets uh, for most of them. I, I'm not going to squeeze all of them in. Um, and also some more concept art for what the house itself looks like now that I've got the mapping of what rooms I need to include. Uh, and I did get a little bit of work done in the actual prototype build. I, I already had the basic character movement and idea about how I'm going to animate the the, the, the hand-drawn sprites I'm doing, the, the like a hand-painted style. And so now I've gone and implemented doors to move between rooms, uh, item pickups and keys to get through some of the doors. So that'll give me a lot of the basic, building blocks of unlocking the different sequence of things you go through. And one of the next things I need to do is implement the figure out what the best way to sort of play a pre-made sequence in a unity game is going to be. I probably use the cinema machine uh, plugin uh, so that I can do things like mostly just be using the animation, the animator and um, being able to have like a pre-scripted scene play out when you go into a room and have the right items to trigger a particular haunting, which is how the story is told through the game. So I'm going to figure out how that will work. And this is also just like the the, the feature prototype that does that just has placeholder art in. And while I'm working on that, I'll keep fleshing out those concept art pieces and the, the story. So then I will be mapping out all the actual assets that I'll build over the next couple months. Um, once I get the, the, the features itself are pretty 
uh, small. Like this, I've, I've intentionally been building this with a small set of features so that I can focus on content creation once I get that done. So I think that within a few weeks, I'll have it feature complete, expecting that there will be tweaks I make over time. And then I'll spend a lot more time on content and story, which what I want to try to move to, I think, so that I can uh, have more projects where I work more on, on content and art and explore more of that side and make my games more more heavily on, on the content side than the, the code side, which I've more traditionally done and then gotten in the weeds with refactoring and features I want to add. And instead, I want to keep that part small. But I also am taking the next week off, uh, like end of summer kind of staycation because there's nowhere to go right now. And so I'm hoping I can, you know, along with the stuff I'm going to do around the house and with the family, I'm also going to try to get some stuff, a, a bit of a boost of like time a I can plan. spend on this. I just say, hearing everything say about Godot, I'm much more interested in it as an IDE than I was before. So that's uh, no small learning there. Because even if it doesn't have any kind of extreme features as Unity, I'm probably not building a AAA game in it anytime soon. So I think all the advantages you mentioned probably more that way, those gaps right there. Yeah, I think that especially for the things I'm building as well, it, it, it is fine. And also, I've seen very nicely polished games in, in Godot. It can do a lot of great things. And it also very clearly has the momentum to keep pushing forward in that regard. It's got a lot of uh, studios who are supporting it and adding to it. Um, I, I expect it to go in great directions and to be a, a really strong contender very soon. Um, it's grown hugely in just the last year, so it would be really great to look into it more. Um, on top of the languages and the script, visual scripting I mentioned, there's al also the, the way that it's built where languages are bound into it, so they have like the different ways you can script it. The community already has plugins nice. for adding others, so you can also... It has full support through those community plugins for Lua and Python, uh, so... Pretty much anything you want to do to build your game, you can, and all, and all in the same project if you want to mix and match, or you need to use a a module that somebody else wrote in C sharp, and you want to mix it into your game that you wrote in Python. Like they all talk to the same API, so that's very it exciting. All seems to yeah, work. I wonder if I could plug very Rust into that because I would still use Python for configuration and then Rust for the more intensive stuff. But yeah, it sounds like this could almost turn into the next Blender, which is ironic because Blender started in part as a game engine. I took it out on nostalgia. Yeah, I I think that it definitely has a a similar a similar feel. Not like not, and I get what you mean. Like not replacing Blender, but Blender as in the the position yeah, the way path. it has in the community and the you know the staying power that it has. Yeah, I think definitely. And I also looked up. Yes, there are already Sweet. Rust bindings for Godot. Okay. Uh, the one. The one thing I did not look into is there is also the the native scripting, which is like writing it in C, the C plus plus, and so the Rust stuff is probably oh, bound good. to those Ooh, APIs. Right. With all of that covered, I'll go on today's topic. That is to say, games we would blatantly copy. I talked earlier about inspiration, but we'll get a little bit into the weeds now and talk about specific games and how if we can make them ourselves, we would. Right. So I got my out of a very long. Go ahead. Yeah. And I to say that like this is not just games that like these are our favorite games there's a difference between these are clearly games we like but there's a difference between you know my favorite game and the game i would most like to make a game just like it like the, you know there's a bit different there's a little overlap but it's it was interesting to try to piece apart the difference between those and the games that i really love that i wouldn't put on this list because just because i love them doesn't mean mm -hmm. i want to make a game like that 
So that was interesting. Like a Les Paul Fantasy Six, but I would not want to try and make it myself, or even with a large team, try and make that kind of game. It's different. All right, uh, let's open up my first one, Etrian Odyssey. I'll talk about basically the series as a whole because I played. Uh, I think everyone either the later new ones or the remakes of the old ones. Um, game I loved quite a bit. The battle mode I enjoyed. The mapping is really a pleasant surprise when I first got into it. Actually drawing your own maps and exploring the world. I will say one thing I found lacking was story and world building. Um, I mean, there was so little story in the first version of the original game that there was room to add story in the first remake. I mean, even, yes, it's true, you can add your own characters, all PCs of your own design, but the lack of actual, like, name, story, integrated characters meant everything felt a little bit hollow. You were just one character, one guild out of many other people doing things. Not all that heroic accent, but... I feel like a lot of space there for that kind of developing your own map, um, learning about the setting, a lot of room to make that a little more interesting. I would love to do. Not to mention I have characters that look a little more like adult and not quite so like stressingly young. Yeah, so better character design there, better representation, all that. So a lot of missed opportunities in this series I would love to see realized. So that's my big thoughts on Etrianasi right there. I haven't stopped when I've played it now. Um... But I, I looked up quick while you were talking about it, and I checked out. Would would you also? I want to also make sure with all these, like, do we? You know, there's a lot we can talk about, like the the feature set and the the gameplay style. But what are like the like visually and aesthetically? Is it also something that you a style that you would be interested in exploring and, and doing in either in that hypothetical project or in mm. another project? Because in, in all these different games we're listing have different visual styles that I we also this are case, probably thinking about. Next. I enjoyed the art style. I would definitely do very different character design in many ways, um, but probably something more uniquely me and less um, classic or common anime for the era. Yeah. So my first game um, is Final Fantasy Tactics, specifically the you know the, the first one on PlayStation One. Um, always one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, I still go back and replay it every once in a while on a PlayStation emulator. Um, I love I've always loved the the sort of miniature feel of it. Like it feels like you're playing in a set made on a table in a, in a way that I really like. Um, and I, I, I love the I love that era of low poly 3D, 2D mix, the way that that it was done in that. You know, I just there's so much aesthetically that I love of it. Um, and also especially I love how you can really break down the game into all these individual, very specific scenes. So like every single chunk is the same size. And it feels like that would be a really useful way to be able to concisely break your game up into these pieces that you can think about and plan around and, and, and move about. Um, I would love to have a game like that, that I can then also use as a, it feels like a, a kind of thing that if you had built a game like that, you could use that as a platform like a, an engine or template to build a lot of other games similarly like that would be something that if i built something like that i would love to like spend years making more small tactics games of the same style just adding more content onto the the same code basically game development that, that, history really, really talked about was final fantasy tactics was one of the first games if not the first game i tried to recreate in earnest back when i was a young teen getting into game development and that was overly ambitious. So I think it's maybe one reason why I didn't list it in the games I would blatantly copy. It's just the content. There's a lot of content there to absorb and try to recreate. And Lupi a little bit spooked by that. But maybe come back to it later. In like 10 years. Well, you know, 
in all these, I I don't think that saying that we would love to make a game just like that does not need to yeah, mean the true. size is the same because clearly we're not going to replicate word for word the story and all of the sprites. Like we're making our own stories for these it, hypothetically. So you whenever I'm saying I want to make a game just like that, that that can mean for whatever scale and scope makes sense to me and for my approach to that project. And so I, you don't have to be overwhelmed by. Um, by a game that you would love to make, but is too huge and ambitious because that Very doesn't true. have to fact, be your we're going to show another game that's on both of our list that's going to exemplify exactly what you're going for, Calvin. Yep. Yes, but we're not there yet. Uh, what is your second on your list? Yeah. Which is actually this up is, here, These are games where the would-be content heavier, but I really love the depth of the world building. It's While there's a lot going on in these games, it's very dense and you get a lot out of just being in a room never mind having to read dialogue and those would be metroid prime and aquaria which i realized too both have a very strong isolation aspect to them it's you either peacefully or after killing all the enemies peacefully exploring a setting where you have almost no idea what's going on beyond there being some terrible event that forced everyone's absent and delving deeper deeper into the dangerous mystery at the heart of the game and of course there's the power development gauntlet your character gets new options as much as more powerful over the course of the game using challenges all that i'm just a sucker for metroidvania so yes if i could do metroid prime again i would love that i mean even deeply on the aesthetic level hewing as close as you could to gamecube graphics while still being well not being probably bothersomely so you know actually having a sharp hud and so on and so forth but yeah i would love to build a game that felt like it had so much depth um and so much hidden stuff there as Metroid Prime or Aquaria. I found it really interesting to combine those two games into one entry because on the surface, they definitely appear extremely different. You know, like they would not have a relationship, but you present them in a way that you highlight the things that they they do share in a way that it makes sense to put them together. Uh, When when you wrote those down on our list, I, I was not sure where you were going to put them both together. And I actually scrambled to Google for, is there a Metroid Aquaria? Like maybe there's some game I, I missed because I, I could not see what you were going for to combine them. But now that you've oh, nice. explained it, so I, I get going it. For, but onto your next game. So this will at first seem like um, redundant to the previous one, because to many people there, they, they might seem similar, but there is a, so, um, the Ogre Battle series of games, the, the the more recent incarnations look a lot like Final Fantasy Tactics and all of its sequels. But the very first Ogre Battle on the Super Nintendo was an extremely different game. It had no grid tactic fighting. Um, it was actually the, the battles were turn based back and forth between the two sides. But the actual um, overworld map where the battle or the war took place was real time. Uh, and it, so the. The units, which were groups of, of uh, entities, would, would move across the map as you dictated. And then whenever they got, whenever they interacted, they would go into the, the fight mode. And that worked a lot like Advanced Wars. Uh, the thing that I really, really loved about it, um, the units you had, your your party of, or your, your the size of your units were um, up to like 100 or 150 different units broken up into different squads. And they each individually would level up and move through a class tree. Um, so they all started out as just fighter. And then from that, they could branch out. So there was no like different silos of 
um, classes. It was about what they learned and experienced. So they have some practice. Once they get leveled up enough, they might become um, a squire, which then they can learn to be a knight, and or they could learn to be a uh, librarian and then become a mage. So, but they, it was all like this tree of classes, and all of them individually leveled up and had their own attributes. And so you would have a lot of the game was about trying to balance out those units as they went through the classes and move them between squads and, uh, you know, what combinations of them made sense. Um, and I, I love the, I love that scale of, of different units like that. It was really, really cool to manage such a large force, uh, but it wasn't done in a way that was overwhelming. It was, it was really pretty straightforward. And I, and I really love that. Um, and aesthetically, it was amazing. It kind of felt like if you could somehow imagine in the Super Nintendo um, resolution and color space, pixel art that could look like it was watercolor. That's the feel it had, which was an amazing accomplishment. And and I just I always would love to be able to replicate that aesthetically. And I don't know. I don't know how. And it's hard to see these days anything that kind of looks like it. It, it always stuck with me so much. Along with Final Fantasy Tactics, this is also one that I keep an emulator for just to go back and replay really, this game. Every I've really been missing out on a title I've been meaning to play for years. That sounds fantastic. Everything from the stylistic choice, I love watercolors for myself in a few years, to the manageable character development. It's always frustrated me when so many other games try and be basically a person simulator and there are 30 numbers to track. I just, my likely ADHD brain just turns off. And that's one thing I loved from Final Fantasy Tactics was the combining of different classes, jobs, what have you, and finding those interesting, either optimal or just entertaining synergies between different paths. So just, yeah, definitely try out Ogre Battle, the original. I, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, and also, it appeals to me as a development perspective because even though it's there's a lot of depth to it, I think that implementationally Ooh. it would be really straightforward to build. Um, like there's a lot of aspects of it that, compared to other tactics games, would be much simpler to, to build. Um, and, I, and that's you know that's appealing for somebody oh, yeah. who has trouble finishing. This kind of game you can build frankly. up just by adding more units one by one as you need them without necessarily having to. Yes, you know, easier stopping point. Yes. you can say I've done enough and not be like missing half the story. That's it. Right. So yes. uh, our our third game is one the only one on our list that we both added, and it it definitely continues my trend, um, which so far has been all tactics games, and it's a game that anybody who's listened to this show for any amount of time has heard us yeah. mention at least a dozen times, and that is the amazingly concise and well, amazing into the, into the breach, which is one of the best tactics games There's in the last mod few years. Plays an opossum pilot. Yeah, um, so I just I just did my overview of, of Ogre Battle, so I'll let you talk first about Into the Breach and, and why you put it on, on your list, and we can kind of compare our notes as to what Thank about you, it is appealing. So there. this is the one I mentioned before. Neither Calvin nor I had compared list before starting the episode, so neither of us knew the other one would be talking about Into the Breach until we both looked at our complete list and said, oh, there's Into the Breach. So this is the one I was thinking of when it came to what I wish... Um, I would do instead of Final Fantasy Tactics because it's such an incredibly concise, compelling, engrossing game. Very few numbers to worry about besides like health, a weapon turn, ability, whatnot. But every single one of them matters a whole lot on every single turn you play. 
so it's a much more tense in a way that other games are not because everything matters. You don't get distracted to the little details. The story is kind of thin, which is kind of necessary because one conceit of the game is that you're traveling through time, repeating this battle or doing it across multiple timelines, trying to save humanity in many different ways with characters that survive to different loops or don't, more often than not. And there simply isn't a whole lot of room for a story there, at least not as implemented. But that kind of punchiness to a game, that kind of crunchiness, that kind of, I want to say, it's one of the only games, if not the only game, I've gotten 100% of achievements on, in part because it had a reasonable number of achievements. But it was when I wanted to get through all of that, because it's such a compelling replay. The game, the loop, gameplay loop, which is essential to every game, was incredibly tight and fulfilling and into the. So if I can pull that kind of thing off with whatever I'm making, I would be very satisfied. Yeah, I, I, all of that definitely resonates with me. Um, I've I've referred to Into the Breach uh, a number of times as a game that is best described and and explained by all of the things it doesn't do and that they did not add to the game. It always makes me wonder about the things that were on the the drawing board that that got cut out did they have a a game with with more things in it that they cut out did they were they able to craft such a concise experience from the start i I love to think about the process of making something so simple and and not simple but um tight like you said the, the gameplay loop very 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 tight and concise and i also really enjoy the i enjoy games that take like a um a traditional not necessarily a mechanic, but just like a trope of games. So in this case, like, you know, having to restart restart the game or um, like the way that the time mechanic of looping back, you know, that's basically losing, you know, running out of lives and restarting, but built into the game as a mechanic of it. So even if you have to retry and restart the game from the beginning, you still feel like you're continuing forward. Like, I, I really like how they tie that mechanic into the story of the game in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're losing a game ever, even if you have to replay it a dozen times. Um, I also really like um, tactics games that are able to boil down the movement into such predictable, like you you know what is going to happen. It's very mechanical. Um, it's a tactics game without dice rolls, essentially. And what really fascinates me about that and the other game that always um, mirrors that to me is uh, Hoplite, which is a hex-based tactics game on mobile um, with a similar similar bend where all of the moves are predictable and deterministic. And so that makes a tactics game that is also a puzzle game in a way because you're looking at exactly the moves that are going to happen and exactly the moves you can make and you're you know crafting that step-by-step um, and you can you can predict this all pure logic and and thinking through the process of, of that and being able to build an engaging um, an engaging battle and an engaging game loop without that kind of uh, dice rolls and randomness that tactics games typically rely on is really interesting. Um, also, well, one of the reasons it's really interesting is it also means not trying to balance the randomness trying to balance games with a random element yeah. is a really difficult thing. So I also am interested in, I mean, clearly this game does well for all the things that it carves out, but it also means development wise that, you know, there's a lot of benefit to that. Like what they actually have to implement and build is, is very clear and straight and the balancing of it, I feel uh, is something that's a lot more approachable in, in a way. Kind of so thing I, you, I like that. You can actually, the gameplay of it. So something like tactics, mm-hmm. you're always wondering, did I, 
should have added another unit type, should have added another class, should have changed this number by three, this one by 5% with something like Into the Breach. They did start with a much larger game and got a lot of functionality in there. It was a very ambitious game for the studio. And then they cut all the way down to Into the Breach, leaving only the best parts. And we can see the results of that. It's just a very trim game. Note that on this game. That makes me wonder. Or, um, so there's this trend in, uh, and a lot of game developers do yeah. a thing called demaking, where you take a relatively more modern game and you remake it several generations behind what it actually was. So that might be, you know, taking Gears of War and remaking it as a Super Nintendo era side scroller, you know, things like that. Um, so that makes me wonder if if they had a larger game and they cut it down to this you know what games would be really interesting and i don't i don't think either of us have an answer off the top of my head of our heads it's just a thought here what games can we think of that we could take and and not demake but that we could carve out a really tighter loop out of that game and make something in the vein of into the breach in the way that it it cuts those things out you know what what other similar uh, gems are, are like hidden in more complex and yeah, that's a good uh, reminder to a lot of uh, younger game devs out there. Half and I are not spring chickens, so we remember a lot of games like Final Fantasy VI versus Final Fantasy VII, and it's a little bit hard for us to think of what games we would demake because we just remember the old version. Like a demake of Metroid Prime might be Super Metroid, and we just remember Super Metroid, and it's hard to imagine demaking Super Metroid because we just remember Metroid. And there's a lot, lot of opportunity out there to demake mm. games, especially more recent games. So game devs looking for inspiration, ideas, look at the demaking. And speak. Yeah, we'll add it to and the topic of list. Demaking. Um, my next three games are feel very much like demakes, even if they are original titles. Those would be Downwell, Gato Roboto, and Minute, spelled M-I-N-I-T. And they are all black and white, or kids have done well, one extra color. And they're incredibly concise that way. They have the absolute minimum visual elements necessary to tell the story. I focus very much on the country gameplay and spend no uh, waste no time or effort on anything not deeply relevant to what you're doing. Downwell loop is, again, incredibly tight. All you only have besides your left and right controls, you have the one button for shooting your bullets. And you just keep going through progressively more interesting levels as you do so with a lot of useful constrained randomization to keep things interesting. You're still developing a very simple skill set to get through the game. You're just finding more interesting ways of doing it. As opposed to doing more interesting things, you have, instead of being overwhelmed with options, you're given more and more useful ways to utilize the one or two skills you've been refining through every playthrough. Gato Roboto is similar. It's basically Metroidvania, uh, basically uh, Super Metroid but you're a cat in power armor, which is, of course, cute all on its own. And you go through a linear, in this case, a much more linear, if I remember correctly, playthrough of what's basically Metroid or Super Metroid. And I just quite enjoy it. And Minute, where you literally live for one minute and the character dies. It's not over. But various things will carry over between deaths because you'll be obviously constantly dying. So not unlike the breach that way, but with an absurdly tight respawn. So it's almost like a demake of the roguelike genre in some ways. And, and it makes great use of its limited graphics because 
you can't have too much stuff on screen at one time. In theory, if you're going to be dying every minute, there would just be too much to track and makes it much easier to get through that with a very concise visual language. And they're also much more achievable for an indie slash hobby creator, that kind of aesthetic, that kind of really tight loop. Because none of these games are AAA titles. None of them are trying to be the next Red Dead Redemption, but they're done and playable right now. Hmm. So that's an interesting combination, and I, I like how you, know, you pick three games that aesthetically have a lot of, of similarity, and yet um, that has nothing to do with why they were all added together. You know, that's not actually the... It's interesting that they happen to have that aesthetic because it, it just kind of fits well to that that trimmed down uh, experience. Uh, I, I think I'm familiar with, with Downwell, and I've played Minute, but I think Gato Roboto is the one I have not seen before, and so I, I want to look into that and try it out. Um, things like Downwell and Minute are really interesting because of... Well, Downwell is interesting because um, I, I like the very linear nature of... Um, as much as I love big, sprawling games, is also a, a big appeal to... Um, you know, knowing exactly where the character, where the player is going to go, because laid it all out. And minute is really interesting in how it, again, sort of similar to the um, the the time mechanic in uh, Into the Breach, where you kind of take a piece of that core gameplay loop and work it into the mechanics of the game itself uh, in a way that it is a natural element of it, rather than um, rather than just a a feature built in. I'm not really sure how I'm trying to express that, actually. It feels similar to me, but I'm not sure how to put it in words. But those are all really, uh, really interesting trimmed down things. Uh, for some reason, they make me think of, or I think if I was going to try to think of something that sort of like fits in that same regard. It would be Switch and Shoot, which was released on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, it's a multi-palette monochrome shooter with a single button control. The one button both shoots and changes direction, and that's your entire interface to the game. Um, it's really fun looking, um, and it has a really similar feel and aesthetic to the kind of games you're talking about. So those are all, uh, aside from the fact that those would be really, um, you know, they, they sort of, there's not, I'm going to have to edit a lot of this conversation here because I keep messing up what I'm trying to say. They, the fact that the mm. graphics style is so simplistic means that you can focus very, very much on the gameplay loop, uh, which, which is interesting. And also that these are all a style that works really well for and you know, I can see all these coming out of game jams for example because of the way they, they feel like game jam games in a lot of respects so and I also I find it interesting to think of the kind of games that would come out of a game jam as being a sort of pseudo genre because you can there's sort of a you can kind of see like a game jam aspect to some games that had never come out of a game jam it just kind of fits you know in fact I would love the idea of talking more about different forms of game jams later episode but speaking of other games what's your other uh, inspirational game Calvin? so my next one does not fit the rest of my list at all and it was not on my original list but while we were talking i swapped it out because i realized that while it feels strange because it doesn't fit my usual games i i can't help but get it out of my head which is that i would love to i would love to make a game very very similar to soda dungeon and there's a lot of reasons for that um, one is I, I like how I like how you take what is the usual mechanic of a, a of an adventuring party game, but you take all the things you usually do, and that is not the gameplay at all because you just they go through automatically. You don't actually do the fighting, 
And everything you're doing is built around preparing and acquiring that party, which which is very interesting. And so you kind of take what is what was an entire game genre and you just make that one one aspect of of a different kind of game. Um, and I also playing Soda Dungeon, which is I, I, I like the idea of it's not exactly an idle game, but it's somewhere like an active idle game. And I I do really want to make something like that because um, I just like the idea of some of games that people can fit into their day better. You know, um, idle games are great for being able to check in on and then leave for a few hours while working and then come back and you've gotten somewhere. And that's that's pretty cool. Um, they're games that work. This particular type of game, so Dungeon, works great for when you want to have a, a bucket you can toss tons of content into. You, know, you can make tons of new characters. You can make new weapons and items and you just put whatever you want in it for people for the characters to find through the adventures because it's all random um and it also is like a lot of the other um titles we've talked about or that i've talked about anyway i think a trend i have is ones that are very concise to build uh you know very straightforward um the the actual implementation is is not complicated um but i also see a lot of opportunity to sort of expand on the way that it went about it um like i'd love to see the addition of multiple races or species in space or fantasy setting that have different attributes in, in the battles um, or being able to set them off on adventures without actually having to watch them. So you can send multiple parties at a time and you could really sort of scale up the idea in a lot of interesting crafting. ways. It would surprise me if they're out there somewhere. You almost call this like a monitoring game. Same way you would monitor your build pipelines at work. Watch, make sure the software you're deploying hasn't broken somehow. This would be the same kind of thing where there's Periodic active yeah. effort, but you don't have to be watching constantly. Interesting little subgenre. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of games like this, but for whatever reason, Soda Dungeon itself is always like ever since I first played it, I it's it's been stuck in the back of my head. There's a particular a particular direction, a particular game that I, I have in mind that I would love to make someday that is directly inspired by it, um, which would be a space setting where so that you can have like I said, like different alien species that are your adventurers. So Soda Dungeon, a big, if, if, if you haven't played it, uh, a big part of it is the different sodas that you sell at your bar attract different classes of it. adventurers. And I could see basically expanding that into a little more complex where you have this in to attract adventurers to, but it would be combinations of the, the foods that aliens are able to eat and the types of places they need to rest. You know, like Robotic species need charging stations that you would need to buy. Avian species need a nest to sleep in. Um, and there'd be sort of combinations of the, the food and uh, sleeping accommodations so that you can attract these different different species with different qualities. So, so they can take on meets Project High Ride. I'm not familiar with um, that. It's in Tower, but modern. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something Another similar to, to I that, think it's yeah. Something like Monster Hotel or Monster Manager, where you're basically the landlord for an apartment for monsters and similar stuff going on. I actually misinterpreted your initial description of the game. I was imagining one where you make a game or combat-like experience out of everything but the actual combat. So going to the shop to buy your potions becomes a battle of some kind. Going to the inn and sleeping oh, becomes a battle. Interesting. Um, everything make everything but the actual combat, the uh, conflict. And then the actual, the actual combat, you just like brush over it. It's like 
and then battle happened, and you're right back to making the keeping the party from killing themselves, killing each other. <laughs> it's also a type of game. So, like mm-hmm. Soda Digit has this mechanic where once you once you defeat the the end of I think it's 600 Whoa. levels of the dungeon you go through, 100 for each area. But oh. that doesn't take long whenever they're you know playing by themselves. Um, it doesn't take long to go through once they level up enough. But once you get to that, then a portal opens and you go to a new dimension where they're, where you have to chase the, the final boss. And it all it does is tweak the colors a little bit. Everything is tinted in that world so that the grass will be purple and the sky will be orange or something. And you start over from scratch with some bonuses and you have to redo that dungeon and all the monsters in that have a multiplier uh, and so there's like a really clear way that they scale the game up with very, very little effort, but it still, it manages to be fun. It's sort of the, the prestige mechanic. A lot of vital games have where you, you restart with some bonuses. Um, and so anything that, that provides that kind of way to add, it's sort of a meta game loop where you have the whole game and then you just repeat that. And so you can make it last indefinitely for, for people who just enjoy idling it for however long they want to without hitting a cap. I like being able to have a real flexible endpoint to the game. Express basically, a book I've been meaning to read forever called uh, "Finite and Infinite Games." Something for everybody to read. Um, so yeah, about what is that about? Kind of games, finite ones. Like winning a fight is a finite. Um, figuring out how to maintain your party, the local adventuring community, so they can keep going out to dungeons is a more infinite game. Kind of one that becomes self, try to make self-sustaining and perpetual versus having a winner and a loser and then calling you. We'll have to put that into the, the show notes. It sounds like an interesting, um, interesting selection of, of comparisons between different games. Um, it's a pretty broad categorization of, of, uh, of games there. You know, we talk about different genres and stuff, but they're, they're pretty broken down at this point. Like there's a lot of very specific genres, but just splitting them all into two groups of finite and infinite is really interesting. We each have two uh, entries le- or one entry left each. Uh, what is your Sorry, last entry? Um, my last one, well, two is Pokemon Red and Blue. Not just because this is one of my early game experiences, or because it's the first one that I played from the series, but revisiting Downwell, Gato Roboto, Minute, etc. It was a very concise game, all things considered. Very simple battle system. Maps weren't too complicated compared to all the other games. There wasn't nearly as much to worry about complexity-wise. Uh, even down to the graphics. And that's another game, I think a Final Fantasy game on the Game Boy, that was similar, where characters would develop, like you mentioned, in Ogre Battle, would develop in various ways. You can change your class and whatnot. And see, there's a lot of opportunity for starting all the way back with Pokemon Red and Blue and looking for what you want to keep and add and remove from the game and evolve it in the way that Pokemon Company and Nintendo really haven't in all these decades since. I remember watching a recent episode of uh, an episode of uh, the Girlfriend Reviews, adorable YouTube series, where much as they really enjoy Pokemon as a series, had very nothing all that kind to say about mechanics, and justifiably so because it hasn't really changed in any substantial way in 25 years, about thereabout, which is a long time to not change the core stuff about the game series. Yeah, so it's a long time to. Um, I mean, it's certainly yeah. they've changed over time, right? But the the core of it is remarkably, um, remarkably fixed yeah. for for that long of a series. I I'm sure that over time there have been um, there's 
as popular it is, there's definitely people who have made Pokemon like games and try to capture on that. But I definitely have noticed in the last couple of years, especially out of the, mm-hmm. the indie scene, there are a lot of monster catching nice. games coming out. Uh, it, it, all of a sudden, it seems like there's an explosion of, of them. I think that a little bit, I think that's sort of a, and this is just my interpretation of what I see, about the time that the first 3D mm-hmm. Pokemon came out, then that's the time when I started to see a lot of other, I think that kind of opened up a floodgate of making a Pokemon game that doesn't look like Pokemon because it opened yeah. up the aesthetics of it so much. And there are a, a ton of them now that I've seen around coming out. Like every every year I see at least another three or four um and that, that's really interesting. Obviously, all these people love the series and want to make something of their own that is like that. And um, I don't know enough about all of them to know the differences and you know the unique twists that they've all made. But um, there's so much room there to take that concept, take those huge numbers of, of um, creatures and spin them in different ways. So, I mean, Pokemon's been able to add a thousand more Pokemon over the last 25 years, then certainly other people can come up with a few hundred of their own. Uh, it's, it's a very open concept to fill with all sorts of things your imagination comes up with. And just having a kind of bucket for your imagination is a really appealing kind of game. As a matter of fact, that's a big reason why my last Ooh, game is on my is list. So my last game that I would love to copy is the classic Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, one of the games that I played to completion the most over the years. A lot of the games I've gone back to, but that's the one that I've actually like I play to completion the most. Um, and there's there's so many reasons why I would love to make something like that. Um, and a big part of it is that for all of the 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 main plot, there are there's so much extraneous content that I love. There are like. 30 different swords with very slightly different pixel bounding boxes and slightly different swinging speeds, or a couple of them have a little bit of different move. There's a couple dozen different shields. There's so many different boots you can get that slightly change how you move. Like all these different things. I, I definitely have the feeling that the, a game was made. This is the opposite of into the breach. There was a simpler version of Castlevania that only had one castle and had a few different swords and and maybe some shields you could get and then they realized hey we still have like 10 million dollars just do whatever you want guys and they just threw in everything and it worked and i love that and it that happens in every aspect of the game there are even though it all takes place you know in a castle there are different environments of all sorts through it there are so many different enemies even though they're all demonic monsters they have this enormous variety even to the point that every single monster has a different unique death animation because they had the time and will to just be experimental with that and decide to do all these different explorations of how this one piece of of the game can happen which means as you're going through fighting every single death is different and unique in a way that is is never the game never feels stagnant even though you're playing the same thing essentially um they have stretched that game so far you know they took the whole thing and, and you know spoilers if you haven't played this game in the last 30 years uh, but they took this whole thing and then said hey let's copy the castle upside down and make a second half of the game 
which is just amazing. And that has all new twice as many monsters in it, you know. So this is a game that you can just throw your imagination into. And I really love the appeal of that. Uh, and again, it's one you can take in a lot of different directions. You know, I could see a game like that that has a similar um, similar dark fantasy feel. I could see it um, being robots and, and acquiring different parts instead of spells and um, magic equipment. Uh, there's just so many different ways you could explore that. And um, plus, I just... I would, it's the only, I still have the feel of like, I should make a platformer at some point, but I don't actually want to make a platformer traditionally, except for this. So I guess the one side scrolling game that I want to make for some reason, uh, even though it's a huge part of the games I've played. Um, and I'm not sure why I, I have no real appeal to make a platformer, but this is the one that stands out where I do. And it's not really a platformer, but technically it is. I, I don't know. It's, platforming aspects uh but yeah i'd i'd love to to make that bucket and throw everything into it in the kitchen sink over several years just think of a new monster toss it in somewhere content there like procedurally generated levels that will let you just create whole new environments especially if it's just changing level resolution pixels and your color palette to expand your world in a very organic way so definitely a game thing to consider all right that's all of our games. Um, I've got some honorable, honorable mentions. I don't know if Calvin does, but I can list some of those right quick. Ones that did not win a little tournament bracket I ran for my games. because They're like 16 entries. Okay. Yeah, uh, sure. Go ahead. Right, zero slash We Know the Devil. I love the writing more than anything else. Uh, Animal Crossing, because it's Animal Crossing. Um, Return of the Obra Den to keep meaning the finish. It was a really accessible mystery puzzle-solving game. Uh, Near Automata. Much probably more the writing than anything else again. Frostpunk was a fun simulation game. Uh, Cultist Simulator, because I love card games and wouldn't mind building my own digital. Uh, TIS 100, uh, just because another engrossing game, so similar vein to Return of the Obra Den. And you get the program. VR Chat, which is technically a game, but it's just too much fun. I'll just make it even friendlier for furries, as if that's, you can even imagine that. Uh, Panzer Paladin has just been plain fun. And the excellent Bastion slash Transistor. Again, gameplay was fun. The writing was even better. And I would be amazed if I could pull off, or pull off that kind of really enjoyable world building, especially world building and writing. So those honorable mentions there. They're so all, all, all good. I can see why they, they nearly made the cut, but we, we had to cut down to five. Uh, so I I had a few games. We well, Right before we decided to cut it to five, I had a couple more I would have added. And um, so I would... One, some of that almost made it to my list, but did not. Um, and I've grouped a couple of these. Uh, Starbound and Terraria, both very similar uh, side-scrolling, pixelated, uh, infinite-ish world uh, crafting games. Uh, love playing both of them. Uh, Terraria is the, the quintessential for the, the style of the gameplay, and Starbound is the quintessential for the limitless content, essentially, which, similar to why I, I listed Castlevania Symphony of the Night, something you just toss tons of ideas into and i, I love that um somehow I managed not to have any traditional <laughs> rpgs on my list and they yeah. nearly made it um and i think part of that is they're a little outside of the tactics rpg a more traditional rpg is a little daunting from um a, a content perspective because the like in, in final fantasy tactics you get to make a really concise maps of all these scenes and in a more traditional 
role-playing game there's just so much content for the world and unique places to build it feels a lot more daunting but if i went down that route um three games that kind of are always together in my mind are chrono trigger and secret of mana and the sometimes less known Mm -hmm. secret of evermore which was the same engine as the super nintendo secret of mana uh but it was more of a sci-fi which is really cool uh I, I, I loved it. It's uh, always in my, it's, uh, still up in my, my top favorites. Um, and the last one, I'm weirdly almost embarrassed to list because it seems cliche at this point, but there are a lot. It's, it's such a generic game at this point that could take in so many directions, yeah. which is Minecraft, but basically a blocky crafting game. Uh, in particular, I have a really specific vision for what I, if I ever made a, a crafting game, what I would want, which is, uh, crash landing on a scrap planet, you know, like where just junk and old machines and computers and parts are thrown as trash on the whole planet. And so what you're mining through are the piles of pieces and parts that you can salvage. And I have this idea for this mechanic where uh, you start off being able to interact with the basic size of blocks, but as you build more sophisticated tools, you can build and and interact with subsections of those blocks that you can make more and more intricate machines. And I think that would be like a really straightforward way of sort of scaling up the the gameplay and the crafting without actually having to keep adding more complicated machinery. Instead, just allowing the interactions you have to be more so, uh, more precise. So fractal, basically. Yeah, nice. Right. Yeah. So that says for our games, we would blatantly copy if given the chance. Anyone wants to fund one? We're available. All right. Uh, I think let's talk about some quick media highlights. Yes. I've got one I've been reading and will probably start rereading in the very near future. Uh, Atomic Habits. I mentioned it on the, game, on the show before, podcast rather. And there are incredibly applicable, incredibly actionable advice. I would recommend it to literally everyone since it's talking about practical answers and tips and strategies, tactics and strategies for improving fundamental part of how our brains work, our habits. And I know it's made a world of difference in terms of my productivity, oh, ideas on the book itself until more recently, but ideas from it to improving my game development process, other things, and I'm going to be using it very explicitly to continue improving the development of Anthrotari, the promotion of Anthrotari, even the promotion of this podcast, to try to make it as habitual, as much of a default as possible. I expect to see some big returns on that in no short order. I mean, I'm 15 pounds down from where I was even a few months ago because of dramatically improving my habits. And that's my one highlight. Uh, so, all right. Um, and, and mine, I think I, I probably mentioned that I had bought this, but I did Ooh. start reading Ultra Learning, and I'm still pretty early in it. Um, I will say that from the beginning of it, I have some bits I'm skeptical of in terms of retention of things being learned. Like, yeah, you can... You can quickly memorize enough stuff to pass an MIT math essay and five or math exam in five days, but that doesn't mean you've learned it. So I, I expect that I'll get a lot. There'll be more varied things in the rest of the book, but I started off being a little skeptical, and I mentioned that only because I want to compare that view to what I think once I get more more through it. So um, I, I had this recommendation from a lot of directions, and I'm hoping to get things from it because I have so many other things I want to learn than just learning. So I'm, you know, I'm hoping this will give me a selection of techniques that I can apply to a lot of the directions I want to take. And a lot. I of can think of one environment where a lot of super effective cramming for was basically an exam would be very useful. Game jams. 
Yeah. Not okay. just for game techniques yeah. and engines, but also art techniques, media techniques for the subject of what you're gaming. If you can figure out all the essential stuff of, let's say, farming, industrial farming, or minerals, or space physics, that makes whatever you had in mind, imagine for your game jam, much more powerful. This really supercharges you for getting everything you need ready, prepared, and letting you focus entirely on execution for a short time frame. Yeah. Well, I, I hope I get a lot more out of this as a, as a read. Like I said, I'm pretty early in it, and um, I just am mentioning it because it is the thing I expect to spend the next couple of days reading the most. And um, I will give, recap the book whenever Fine. I finish it to so let you know what I think. Anything for today. Thank you very much for listening. Here is SideQuest completed. Uh, see you next week. Have a, have a good week and enjoy building your games. Please uh, check out our website for all the places you can find our podcast and for the link to our Discord, which we you hope you'll join. I was clicking, snapping as much for the audio tracking as it was for sheer amusement. And so. Thank you for listening to the SideQuest Completed Podcast. If you weren't subscribed, find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or at our website, sidequestcompleted.com where you can find all our episodes and an invite link to our new discord server